Welcome to the Unmade Podcast. I'm Kat McGinn and I'm joined today by Jeremy Summers. This is an AI-focused episode and we'll be talking about the impact of AI on creativity. Jeremy began his career in digital agencies, went on to found fashion brand We Are Handsome, and he's now created the world's first AI creative agency. Jem, what led you to start experimenting with AI? I remember one specific moment, and it was seeing uh, OpenAI's very first DALI white paper. And it somehow made its way into my view, and I had not really thought much about AI other than the fact that, you know, it might kill us all. And I saw this, and um, I read this paper and saw the examples they had given for the very, very initial uh, text-to-image model. And I had this, like, cinematic dream sequence, like epiphany moment where I saw the future of all creativity and all design and and like, you know, everything that is in, um, in a visual realm, at least at that stage. And I just sort of got it straight away. And so I got really obsessed by it thinking this is where everything will go, whether it's this year, whether it's in five years or in 10 years, like this is, this is massive for, for everything that I've ever known and everything that I've done, no matter what industry, creative industry I've been in. And so that's, I started to get really nerdy and obsessed by it. Do you think that as an industry, we are anywhere near um, fully grappling with the impact of AI, the lasting effect in terms of creativity, in terms of jobs? Absolutely not. Uh, I think that the, you know, there are levels of understanding. There are those of us who are inside it and so deep inside it that we're doing stuff and using the tools as they will eventually be used by everyone, but using them every day. So that's me. Then there are people who are using it and experimenting, which is a lot of people, a lot of creatives, but are not sure about how it plays out through commercial work or client-facing stuff. There are those people who are for it and those people who are against it. And because they necessarily don't understand it, and it does, it's, it's, it's a bit of a scary thing, I think, for everyone in creative industries because it changes everything that we, like all the skills that we've spent so many years or decades learning. A lot of those skills get thrown out the window, but the most important ones do not. And I don't think that a lot of people see that yet. And then there are people who just are seeing the the output um, on the sort of the meme side and the funny side and um and being like, oh, cool, and and you know, seeing oh, all these news articles about people cloning people's voices, and you know, and making little movies with famous actors and that sort of thing. So there's like levels of all of this sort of stuff, but I don't believe that we are have even started moving upwards on this like early adopter curve yet. I don't even think we're at the early adopter stage. We're very much um, before that. Something that we're hearing from holding companies is that uh, some examples, large hold codes are saying none of their staff are permitted to play with or talk about or, or even acknowledge the existence of, of generative AI. Um, whereas for you, you've set up this new venture and you're struggling to keep up with demand. I wonder why you think there's such a gulf between those two positions. 
several reasons. The main one being, I think, from what I'm hearing from holding companies from larger agencies and from clients. And, you know, my clients have ranged from owner operator, single businesses, small businesses to uh, Yahoo and Tommy Hilfiger and you know, multinationals and, and tech companies. Um, the copyright ambiguity is pretty huge for the bigger companies. And to use Yahoo as an example, we started a project and they had a timeline and we started doing it and everything got signed off. And then their legal team um, came in and tried to really like understand exactly what we were doing, what tools we were using, what were the output was, where was the source imagery coming in, all that sort of thing. So much so that we had to stop the project and restart it with a very different workflow. We had to invent a brand new AI workflow that would appease Yahoo's legal team to make sure that they were not in any way um, potentially identified against anything that we produced because of the source material that was put in. And that was probably the biggest thing that we've faced so far is that there is so much unknown about the copyright that's uh, of the AI material and the source material and stuff that companies are just saying, no, blanket, we're not going to we're not going to do it until we know more and we know that we're covered. A lot of people also seem to think at a, I guess, at a more individual level that people are concerned, that clients are concerned that when you create something, that somebody else or some other brand is going to take your imagery or your video or your sound or your text and use it as their own. Now, that doesn't really even happen in today's world. If you go out and do a photo shoot of your latest collection of cookware or nike shoes or whatever there isn't really another company that is going to that is at least going to make a dent in, in anything that you care about that is going to take your imagery from your photo shoot or your video shoot and use it as their own it's just not a practical worry and especially if you're integrating brand correctly and integrating product and all of this sort of thing the same with the ai content right if you make a beautiful picture of a mountain and just put it out on your socials sure someone might want to take it and do something with it but that's not really what, like, commercially we're here for at all. Uh, so I think that it's probably the, the biggest thing and why we're seeing pushback. There's also um, the second thing would probably be just the the amount of unknown. Uh, I also do a bunch of, I guess, consulting and teaching in terms of larger companies talking to design teams and creative teams and even management teams about integrating AI and sort of where where the industry is at, how they might start integrating it, how they might start learning it. Um, you know, I've done courses where I've started to teach design teams the basics of several different types of tools. And most corporations, yeah, really depending on who's at the top of that and what their almost personal thoughts are on AI, dictates how it's seen playing out through the rest of the uh, the company. I think the tricky thing is that there's a moral dimension or perhaps a concern about the, the future of humanity. And then there's a much more pressing commercial reality, which is um, if you can create a photo shoot using generative AI without having to invest tens of thousands of dollars in production, it's, it seems unlikely that uh, brands and companies would choose not to do that. Um, it seems to me that people who choose not to get on board at this stage are, are risking missing out. Uh, what's your take? Do you think that we're going to see a, a whole industry shift? The amount of creative jobs that 
are going to change, not necessarily get lost, but change, and only change if the skilled people are upskilling themselves into this new world. Just like we went from analog everything to digital everything, whether you were using a graphite pencil or a film camera and you had to upskill yourself in the digital revolution in creative, this is the same. We're just going through. A lot of people uh, in creative industries never went through that. You know, for those of us who are old enough to remember all of that, like we are, but like, you know, that hasn't really happened for, you know, you know 20, 25 years. So a lot of people don't, um, haven't gone through that and are not sure about how to go about that. So companies, brands are going to end up without having to go to studio and photographers are going to need to figure out how to reconcile that. And if they don't upskill themselves, then no one's going to be coming to their studio. It'll end up being like, you know, a hobby. You'll have hobbyist studios like you have hobbyist dark rooms, right? Like that's what the future will 100% be. Could we go back to, I suppose, anchoring this conversation in terms of commercial creativity? Can you talk a little bit about your process and and what would you recommend for someone who's trying to get their head around how to integrate AI into the way they work? how would you advise them to get started? What part is the human part? What part do you leave to the machine? Okay, so I have a rant spiel, I feel like, that I go on generally when I when I start talking about it um, with anyone who I'm having sort of this conversation with or going into a, uh, into a company to talk about it. And that's about how we think about AI is the first step. How do we think about what we're seeing, how do we think about the tools, no matter if you're going into trying to learn ChatGPT and how that might help you in productivity or writing, or if you're trying to learn something like mid-journey or stable diffusion and how that might help you with image generation, or if you're starting in video or animation or music. Everything is, they're all tools. They are creative tools. They are on one level not different to any of the other creative tools that we currently use. They just make it easier and faster to produce an output. And so the way to think about AI as you're starting is to not think about AI, <laughs> is to think about what is your what is your idea? You know, we're talking about creative. So what is your idea and how are you going to execute? What is the brief that you're working on? What are the outputs that are needed? And then craft a workflow um, around that. You know, today, if we take a, you know, we take an outdoor ad campaign, a brief comes in from a client and we sit down and we brainstorm, we come up with ideas and we know what the workflow is. We know which tools we're going to use. We know we're going to use Photoshop and Illustrator and at which DPI and all of the things that we, we know, right? We know that because we've done it a million times and we've had a really strict palette of tools to be able to use. Now we're forced to go, okay, suddenly there are a hundred more tools at that level and some of them make that process much, much faster. And some of them make that process much, much better. And some of that, some of those tools make that process infinitely more creative if we are creative with it, right? We're not forced to do the things that we can do. You know, if we, you want to create a billboard, you're forced to create something, you know, vector in Illustrator, or you're forced to be able to have source photography that is large enough to be able to scale up to a billboard size. Now... We're not forced to do any of that. We can have, or you, you know, or you're doing something and having a huge high-risk scan or whatever it is if you want an illustration. Now, those barriers have been removed. We don't need those things anymore. We need to think about the creative 
more because everybody has access to the same tools. Just like how when we got phones, uh, we got cameras in our phones, everybody was able to take pictures. But then the cameras got better and everybody was able to take much better pictures. Then we got the portrait mode and everyone was able to take really good looking professional pictures and they had the automatic lighting and all of this sort of thing. The playing field of tooling is just completely level. The barrier to entry is nil and the playing field is level, which means the only way to separate yourselves, no matter what part of the industry you're in, is with your very human brain and your very specific set of life experiences and creative inspirations. Do you think, I I have a sense that we'll have a sort of pendulum swing where we come back to a sort of value in crafts craftspersonship artisanship so this push to everything ai will will swing back um i think we have to acknowledge that the reality for most people working in the creative industries they're not working at the edge of their creativity they're not always doing the most inspiring or interesting or different stuff do you think that there's a risk in this new ai dominated world where everything will start to look quite similar and feel quite similar this kind of beigeifying what do you think is the um way that we stop everything becoming very homogenous that's 100 percent what we're already seeing even in these very early stages people who are getting into the tooling produce the things that they see right one thing that i've sort of figured out is that as a um, as a collective of humans we're more lazy than we are creative and we want to produce the things the produce the things that we like and the things that we see. And AI gives us the opportunity to reproduce almost um, perfectly things that we like and things that we see. And so because it's so quick and it's so easy to do, that's what we do, right? It's the uh, microwave meals of, <laughs> of creative, right? It's, it's easy and fast and you know it's there and there's a, a base level of quality and fine. So what we're going to see is like we're going to see this and this is going to go on for a really long time right and the people who will win out in the end are the ones who are being truly creative and the teams that are combining their brains just like how you know if you're adding another person or two people or three people or four people to a creative brainstorming session the output is going to be much more creative because you're all combining all of your personal experiences and all of your uh, creative histories together to come up with something really new and unique and interesting. Whereas as a single designer or artist or creative or whoever you happen to be, that becomes much harder to produce something completely brand new because your field of view and your experience is just one thing. Not to say that you can't come up with something amazingly creative, but as you add human brains to it, you get a much wider net cost of creativity. All that to say... In the end, our human creative brains are going to actually be worth more than they are now, not less. The one people who can be truly creative and truly innovative with these. Um, again, it's not about with the tools at all. Right? It's a matter of, uh, let's take a, a good example, would be um, Jeff Koons and his uh, balloon statues. Right? He didn't invent the balloon um dog right in fact he copied it exactly however he combined it with a medium in which it had never been seen before and a scale at which it had never been seen before and that's how the man made his career right and it's a simplified version of it but 
he did something and took two two things that had never been combined and put them together. And I'm sure it took him his whole career to figure that out, right? So that sort of creativity is not going away. The AI is not going to outperform us on that sort of thing because the AI, it knows everything, which to me means it knows nothing until you ask it specific, very specific questions. It knows everything like the internet knows everything. You can't open up your browser and then just see new ideas on your homepage. You have to ask it for things, right? And so again, it's just a tool. It's a very, very powerful tool, but our human creativity and our, our human brains now, individual creative experiences through life are what's going to set us apart and make us actually more worthwhile in creative industry. We could probably accept, I think, that the agency model isn't super functional. It's not necessarily working that well, if it ever really did. Um, thinking about the piece by Michael Farmer talking about Matt Baxter's work at Huge around the idea of changing what the advertising agency is for and what happens to that agency model when time ceases to be a meaningful unit of measurement. How do you see remuneration changing? I mean, you absolutely can, but you don't charge by the time. I mean, uh, one of the very first um, things that I realized early on in this as I was creating the agency was, oh, hourly billing is dead. Nothing takes any time anymore right? At least the output doesn't take any time. This actually allows you to spend your time coming up with better and more creative ideas and executions, and also to be able to run those through a really high-level um, testing phase. Instead of sketches or mood boards or storyboards or you know comped images, you can almost create final artwork for whatever it happens to be and then you know we're not that far off and we're kind of in it today even you know creating video content for for what that final thing is um so one hourly billing is dead two if we look at the structure of a of an agency there's a lot of talent in the in between the creative team and i guess the uh, the um, the client team, which is built around time, traffic managers, time management, even account management to a certain degree. Um, a lot of that stuff I think is going to be maybe not removed, but lessened. I've tried to, in, in, you know, in my new agency structure, I've tried to remove it completely and see what happens because projects are also much, much faster. I have less um, one of the huge things, one of the huge changes that I think that the entire industry needs to see is a more heavy reliance and trust on the creatives to do their work. Less of less approvals and suggestions and pixel pushing by the client and let the people who've been doing this for their entire lives, give them carte blanche to do it. Trust them with your your brand. You've come to them, you know their their history and their work and you gel with them, then let them do it. And that's something that we ask um, all of our clients is like, trust us. We're not going to give you 22 rounds of feedback. I'm not going to give you a PDF of 40 different things, which you can then choose and mix together and all this sort of thing. Like we are experts. I'm an expert and have done this stuff for my entire career. Lean on us. There's so many directions this conversation could go and so many things I, I want to ask. Uh, one question is how do you deal with the issue of bias given that, most large language models have been trained on arguably quite flawed data. Do you think that one of the, the, the really most in-demand skills is going to be around how good you are at articulating the vision? I mean, we 
we know that not everyone is actually brilliant at articulating the ask in the first place, even in the context of briefing. So do you think it will become about not becoming a prompt engineer, but becoming really, really clear and articulate in, in creating those briefs? Well, first of all, look, it's not the machine's fault. It's our fault. Okay. Um, and similar to, so, so a, a similar bias, like I want to talk about that and I have an answer for you. A similar bias is that, so we've done a bunch of skincare brands this year after one client that we did uh, had a really viral video and we got a ton of skincare brands coming in. And um, the machine is biased towards perfect skin because since the 60s, we've taught it that this is what beautiful skin looks like on the cover of magazines and in ads and L'Oreal and Maybelline and all this sort of thing, right? So what is the bias against skin? It has a bias against no pimples. It doesn't understand what pimples are, right? Like it has all these biases, but that's all our fault. Like the, just as a society, right? But the answer is, like with everything else, the machine still knows a bunch of this stuff. And, you know, with, with something like racial bias, um, it 100% knows what all the races are and how to portray them. And you have to ask it for it. If you come in and if you go to a, um, if you go to a restaurant and the waitress comes over or the waiter comes over and you just go, burger, like, what do you, you could get anything, okay? You're going to get the chef's bias. And like, at its base, it'll be probably a, some sort of piece of meat in between two pieces of some sort of bread with something on it, right? You don't know what you're going to get. But if you're really specific because the menu, either you're building your own or it's super specific, then you're going to get the thing that you want out of it. Same thing with the AI. Um it is, you know, for all of our clients, we're, you know, for like most clients today, diversity is a really big issue. And so we start with that. We know that. So, but you have to prompt that. You have to ask the machine for that and be really specific. And so we actually have like lists of, um, lists of ethnicities and ways of describing them. Lists of type, you need a vocabulary. We call it a, a vocabulary, which is like the token vocabulary. Everything you put into it is a token. So we call it a vocabulary, depending on, on that one. Um, but you have to ask it for things. And it also helps us to, um, to experiment. And we often will combine, um, races to, to see what comes out to make really interesting people. We'll combine, um, Korean with, uh, someone from Sweden, you know, like we'll, we'll do things and come up with really fascinating and interesting looking people who do exist out there in the world to also set ourselves apart from everything else is just popping out, right? Like if you're the more, the shorter you are, if you just ask for burger, you're just going to get burger. If you ask for a white man on a thing here, you know, on a street, you're just going to get something that looks like a general white man. You know, when you start describing that type of person as if you were casting an ad, same thing, but you can't, like, we're just not going to, we can't rely on the AI to just do it for us. Like it, we, we do. And a lot of people do rely on the AI to do it for us because it's so easy. It saves them so much time. Right, but that's not how we should be approaching this thing. That's not how we should move past the bias of the machine and our entire history as a society. It's still got to be thought about. So let's fast forward twelve months from now. What do you think the advertising landscape will look like? What impact will AI have had in a year? I think twelve months from now, I can't say you know in terms of the industry necessarily, but from a tooling perspective, you're going to be able to in your natural language like we're talking now, talk to uh, something like ChatGPT or talk to a tool 
and have it generate pretty close to in real time the thing that you're describing it for and then for you to change things as you talk to it and your vocabulary is going to be the thing that makes the difference make it more dark or moody or more noir but put the lamppost on the left and make sure that the light coming out is a slight mist in the air and it's going to as you talk it's going to edit this image or video or whatever it happens to be that i think where i think we're probably less than 12 months away from that and um uh, chat gpt's latest release um of dali 3 and the integration between chat gpt uh 4 and dali 3 which isn't publicly available yet is the first massive step to be able to doing that i think that we're probably like six months away from that and for having all the other tools to be able to do that as well but that's what it's going to look like in terms of how we direct design but if you don't know how to direct something or have a vision for what you want to see you can't do that if you don't know again your vocabulary or your vocabulary pattern pending um all of how to talk about these things and how to describe stuff like this you can't do it those tools are going to be really specific for for a lot of people right that's that's a much harder process than to just write a man in a smoky scene in you know said in 1976 in an alleyway or something like that it's but that is where we're going to get to we're also going to be at a stage where everybody and every creative and everybody in industry thinks that they can do this do these jobs and every and i i already see it i've had many clients be like oh well we played with mid-journey so can't we just do it like this and i'm like you're more than welcome to go ahead if that's what you want you definitely don't have to pay us to be able to do it but if you do, your output is going to be on brand and ready to go out for everyone. Like, and then inevitably they come back and they're like, "Oh my god, we tried and we had, like, we could not do it. We just, we just have no idea. We don't know the technical thing about the tooling. We don't understand how to wrangle this thing. We don't know how to get out what we want out of it. That's going to be the thing. Is again, the AI knows everything, so it knows nothing. So until you give it something really specific, you're not going to get what you need out of it. My thought is that it's it's not AI's fault. It's perhaps the people directing the implementation of AI. It might be them that become <laughs> they're the downfall. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's not zero, and there are some really interesting um, podcasts and talks about about it not being zero, and. It's to me, it's always at the back of my mind, but I'm also like, well, it's like, you know, it's like talking about being worried, worried about nuclear bombs. Like you and I don't have any control over this. So we're going to keep moving on and moving forward and, and raising our kids. And then you're know, doing all the things. Like if, if all we were doing was worried about nuclear bombs every day, we'd be in bomb shelters and we would have a shitty existence. Um, so it's the same thing. I like, I've learned enough things to know that the probability of AI destroying humanity in the planet is not zero. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely not zero. But that's a shitty existence if I have to think about that every day. I think we have a responsibility to at least be having the conversation, you know, maintaining this uh, pressure for some sort of regulatory oversight, some kind of uh, awareness that this is a this is a, a problem that, that really quite urgently needs some solutions. I think it's um, William Burroughs who said this, but this is a pray to God, but row away from the rocks kind of moment. So lastly, this is the question we ask everyone who comes 
onto the Unmade podcast. What would your biggest detractors and biggest fans say about you? Um, huh, okay. Biggest detractors question the legitimacy of what I've been doing for the last 18 months in, in my business, um, which is fine. Um, I know that it comes from a place of fear for their own jobs, talent, security, et cetera, et cetera. And we're, we're fearful where we feel like we're backed into a corner, even if it's in something, you know, as, as, as big and as, as widespread as AI or you know, even generative AI. Um, that's how we feel. And I know that because I felt that a lot in my career. Um, there are people who also say that it's not, you know, it's not real design. It's not real art. And I think that's a, that's a whole different conversation. Um, but I had a conversation with, with someone on Twitter space the other day. I was like, how come all of a sudden we're having to figure out what art is? Why have we, why do we, have, why do we, why are we figuring that out now? Like, why is this a question? We like, we've been happy, like doing stuff and either calling it art or maybe not call it art. Like, that's fine. Anyway, there's that whole thing. Um, biggest advocators um, are things. So I, I definitely ask all of our clients uh, at the end of the job to, go away and write something um, about the experience of working with us as an agency. Not, here's my recommendation for you to put on your LinkedIn page or or you know a, a one-line quote to put on their website. We obviously do that too. But I ask them to go away and think about the process and because this is generally, for most clients, is something new and, and a, a whole new way of working creatively. And generally the feedback that has come back is one, which is something that I have heard in my career a bunch of times, but not every time for sure. One, it was really fun. Two, it was faster than I ever thought that anything could be. Speed. And three, generally surprised at the level of creativity that we were able to produce in short, in such a short amount of time um, and, and the level of output that they did not expect and that they had not seen from AI from wherever they sit in the world. Uh, and that's that's really like, you know that's been really good for us, and and that coming from um, from smaller brands where we're talking to the owner operators and every dollar is theirs, to the much bigger brands um, where we're talking to people in their team who are either career creatives or account directors or whoever it happens to be. I know that for the um, Tommy Hilfiger job, it actually yeah you know, we dealt with an agency who dealt with a team who dealt within a team within a team, right? Like it's a massive organization, but we did get feedback that. Um, Tommy Hilfiger himself had seen the work and like loved it. And, you know, that sort of worked his way back to us and um, which is you know, very validating, obviously. Um, so I feel like we're on the right track. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for listening to the Unmade podcast. Uh, as always, produced with the consummate professionalism of Abe's Audio. And we'll see you next time. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.